Hello, Freedom House. You guys doing great today? You look great. Turn to somebody beside you and say, you look like you've lost weight. <laughs> Doesn't that always make you feel better when you hear that? People come up to me sometimes, they're like, have you lost weight? And I'm like, no, but keep saying it, right? Like, man, you don't need honesty, right? You just need people to tell you what you want to hear. Amen? No, don't amen that. That's terrible. My gosh. Y'all will amen anything. I tell you, that was, that was terrible. No. I love you guys. It's always great to be here at, I don't know if y'all think, the, the, the best campus, maybe? Okay, all right. You guys believe it. You guys believe it. Well, listen, you, you guys have some great campus pastors. Give it up for them. Amazing. The Blants are incredible. We got to hear them preach last week. Incredible. I'm going to uh, tag on to some of that today. We're going to dig a little deeper into it. Um, but this is just a great, I love to be here. This is kind of home for me because for me and my wife, this was, you know, the, the campus we started at and, you know, it always feels like home to be here at Central Campus. And my name is Olin Carter. I serve here on our teaching team. And if you're new to Freedom House, I see some new faces in the house today. Something that is special, it's unique about our church is although we have multiple campuses, we have a live human being, a person that you can touch and talk to and, and, and all that at every service, every week, bringing God's word, which I think is awesome. And that's a big part of our pastor's vision. Can we just give our pastors, our senior pastors, some honor? <laughs> Troy and Penny Maxwell, I love them so much. Without their vision, I wouldn't get to do what I do. And I always like to say what that means for you is we do everything as a church, we do it as a team. You will hear that word. If you hang out at Freedom House Church for any length of time, you will hear the word team about a thousand times because we love our team. We do everything here as a team, as a family, and I love that. And that means you can be a part of it starting today if you're not already. So excited to be here with you in this, this series, kind of wrapping it up. But before we jump into God's word today, I always like to take a moment and greet our online campus um, we have people joining us right now from El Salvador. El Salvador. Hola. Mucho gusto. Um, Virginia, Florida, uh, Pennsylvania, California, Tennessee, Michigan, Ohio, Alabama, Indiana, North Carolina, Georgia, and Iran, the country of Iran. Wow, you guys give it up for them. Awesome. So glad you're with us today. Incredible. You, don't ever, you never know how big this room really is. I mean, we are talking to people around the world right now, so we're so glad you're with us. And we are in an amazing series called The Church Defined. What does the church stand for? What does it mean? You heard last week from your campus pastors an incredible message about what the church is built on. It's built on integrity, and it's built, it grows through influence. And I hope during this series you've learned a little something about being the church, have you learned anything? It's been a great series. I want to encourage you to check out this book. We have this book in our Salt Resource Center. It's called Church, Is There an App for That? There's a lot of pressure in the church world right now to turn, we're going to talk about this a little bit today, to turn church into something it's not. To make church a, a consumable product, an event we attend or a show we watch. And that is not the heart of God. And this book, incredible book, um, it talks a lot about the modern church, the future of the church, and how we can be the church in our modern time. So, sound good? You guys check that out. Get that book. I think it'll really be a blessing to you. You'll learn some great things. But let's jump in today. You know, when I was growing up, in the church, I heard a lot of messages about taking the church outside of the four walls of the building, 
right? Any of you ever heard those? Uh, so the, some of you that are probably a little older like myself, I think we came out of an era where the church was kind of this dead social club. It was like, you know, the old Baptist church and, you know, we would just meet on Sundays and do your little thing and go home. But it really didn't have any impact in the community. It didn't have any impact in the world. So there was a lot of talk, a lot of preaching about taking it outside of the four walls of the church, which is great. We should minister to people outside the church. We should be doing outreach. We should be evangelizing, telling people about the love of, love of Jesus. But back then, many Christians were content to simply attend church. They demonstrated no evidence of true faith, no good works, no generosity, no evangelism. And I think the view coming out of that was that there was an overemphasis on church. I don't think that was the right Viewpoint. I think you're going to see today through God's word that really, truly, I don't think we can overemphasize church. I love my wife. She's, she's very beautiful. She's very, very gifted, very talented, very loving, very faithful. I love my wife. As a husband, can I overemphasize my wife? No. no. Hey, that's a smart man. That's a smart man right there. You can't overemphasize, right? I mean, I can't say enough good things about my wife. If I have a dear friend, I can't say enough good. You can't overcompliment somebody. And when it comes to the church, we can't overemphasize the church. If you've had that thought in your mind because it's a prevailing thought that's pushing the culture of church in America today, just hit the delete button on that. Okay, I think you're going to see today in God's word, that's not a biblical standpoint. That's not a biblical attitude or worldview that we can overemphasize the church. We're just overdoing it at church. We're just at church too much. We're just pushing the church too much. And in fact, today, I think we see in the world we live in the opposite. We see an underemphasis of church. We see even in the Christian world, even with professing Christians, believers, people that would say, yeah, I, I read the Bible. I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe the Bible's God's word. Even in that group of people, we see a diminishing of the commitment to the local church. Studies show that church, church attendance is dwindling and the number of times that the average Christian attends church has shrunk dramatically. Just in the last few years, it was around two times a month. It's shrunk now to about one time per month, which is scary. That means that most Christians, professing Christians, or a lot of professing Christians, barely attend church at all. That's not a good thing. We need to talk about this because as a church, as Freedom House, and this is the, good, the fun part, we don't have that problem. We don't underemphasize church. We understand the value of the church. We're proud to proclaim the value of the church. And we believe that the mobilized church is the hope of the world. Can I get an amen? amen. We believe that here at Freedom House Church. We believe the church is essential. And our church is growing. We see tremendous growth here at Freedom House Church. But that's not true of every church. In fact, over the last few years with COVID, we've seen Thou, literally thousands of churches shut their doors to never reopen again. Churches just shut down. It's terrible. It's terrible. And so before I jump into the, the if you're taking notes, the message today, um, if you want to write down the title of it is Shine Like Stars. We're going to be spending some time in the book of Philippians. But before we get there, I want to make sure that we're together and we understand the essential nature of the church and why it's essential. Our core passage that we've all been reading this, this month, this series, is found in Ephesians chapter 1. We're reading it out of the message paraphrase. Um, it's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And it says, at the center of all of this. Now, at the center of what? What is he talking about? In the, the verses that came before that, Paul has been talking about the supremacy of Christ. The fact that Christ is it. He's the head. He's the king. He is supreme over all things. And so Paul says at the center of all this, at the center of everything that Jesus is the king of, at the center of everything he is supreme over, at the center of the kingship of Jesus, it says Christ rules the church. 
The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. And we believe that the church is essential. And over the last few years, we got to demonstrate our belief or lack of belief as Christians that the church is essential. When COVID came, liquor stores were open, they were essential. Grocery stores were open, they were essential. Hardware stores were open, they were essential. But the church, the government said, that's not essential. The church isn't essential. And listen, I'm not angry, I'm not frustrated with the world or with the political side of, of things, thinking that the church is not essential. They're the world. Why would they think the church is essential? What breaks my heart is all the churches and Christians and pastors who bowed the knee to culture and said the church is not essential. That that pastor and, and all the people in his or her church would go to the grocery store and touch all the food, and breathe on everybody. And that was okay. They weren't afraid to die, you know, going to the grocery store. And, and going to the, the liquor store was okay. And going to all these places, that was fine, but we're gonna shut the doors of the church because God forbid we say that the church is essential. What it really uncovers in the heart of many Christians is that we don't really understand what the church is. They said, well, we're not closing our church. We're just changing the way we do church. We're still doing church. We're just taking church online. Like church is a television program you can subscribe to. It's like a game show, you know? The price is right. Come on down. Pay your tithe. God will let you go to heaven. It's what a lot of us think. It's what a lot of the world has adopted church to be. Well, I don't have to go to church. I don't have to attend the church. And surely I don't have to let all those people in my life. Like it's, it's not about that. No, church is an event that I can attend occasionally. It's a program I can watch. It's something that I can consume. It's basically a big TED talk with a little bit of Jesus. That's what we've made church to be. And when we close the doors of our churches as pastors, and we say, well, I don't want anyone to get sick. It's not really essential that we meet. I mean, we're, we're going to do the church. We're going to be the church. We're just not going to come together. The definition of the word church is assembly. It means the people of God assembling and coming together. That's what church means. So when they say, well, we're going to do church online. No, you're not. You're going to preach a message. People are going to watch it. That's not church. This is church. This is church. We have to come together. You have to sit beside people you don't like. I don't want to come to church because they get on my nerves. Exactly. That's the point. Because if I'm not here for people to get on my nerves, if I'm not here to have conflict, how am I ever going to grow as a Christian? God didn't call us to come together and assemble because it was going to be easy. He didn't call us to come together and assemble because it was going to be entertaining. He called us to come together and assemble because it was going to be challenging and because it was going to be powerful. And there is power unleashed when you're in the room. There is importance to the local church. So we all believe that here. Our pastors, thank God, we have pastors that weren't, they didn't, they weren't afraid. They didn't go hide under a rock. They reopened. They said, I don't care what the government says or culture says. We're going to come together. We're going to breathe on each other. We're going to hug each other. We're going to do the church. We're going to be the church. We're going to love each other. We're going to come together. That's what we're going to do. Thank God we had pastors that stood up and said, the church is essential. And I think most of us here said, amen. amen. We got on board with that pretty quick. We said, yes, the church is essential. I believe that, but why? Why is the church essential? Why do we believe that? Because the church is essential because Jesus Christ is the king. 
We just read this verse about the supremacy of Christ and the fact that he is supreme above all rulers, all powers, all principalities, everything in the seen world, the unseen world. Jesus is over it. Jesus is supreme. He is the king. Jesus Christ has been exalted by God above everyone and everything. And these verses tell us not just now, but forever he is the king. He is the king. He's going to be the king It's forever has been settled in heaven and on earth. Jesus is king. So what does this have to do with the church? Well, we see in this scripture um, that Jesus the king, this Jesus that we just sang these songs about, the Alpha and Omega, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace, the bright and morning star, this Jesus, our savior, is the king and he acts. He does stuff today. He speaks today In and through his body, the church. He's going to do things in the world through us. And that's good news. That's good news because number one, we know he didn't just do something. Thank God he did something. Can I get an amen? Thank God he did something that saved me. Thank God he did something, but he's not done doing stuff. Jesus is still doing things today. He's still delivering people. He's still saving people. He's still healing people. How is he doing it? He's doing it through his church. He's doing it through his body. But wait, I know some people will say, well, isn't the big C church, isn't the global church, isn't it made up of Christians everywhere? I mean, I don't have to attend a local church. I don't have to go to Freedom House Church or First Baptist or whatever church you want to say. I don't need to go to a church. I don't need to be planted in a church. I don't need to be in the local church. I'm part of the global church. I'm part of the big C church. I love when Christians use this silly, flimsy, unbiblical argument. It's so absurd. I'm part of, I don't need to go to church on Sunday. I am the church. I'm part of the big C church. I am the church. I'm part of the church because I'm saved. I'm a believer. I am part of the church. And listen, you are part of the church. If you're a Christian, if you're saved, you've you've professed your faith in Jesus Christ. If, If you've been reborn, guess what? You're part of the church. You miss a Sunday, no problem. You're still going to heaven. Jesus still lives in you. That's true. That's a true statement. But let me ask you a question. When the apostles that built Christianity, really built Jesus through the apostles, set up the church as we see it, why did the apostles, after Jesus ascended to heaven and they were going around preaching the gospel, doing miracles, writing the scripture, really building the foundation of the early church, Why did they spend their time going province to province? Paul risking his life, sailing on ships, being shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, driven out of towns. Why did they spend their life and risk their life to set up local churches? If as Christians, we don't need to attend the local church. Why did the apostles put such an importance? In fact, most of the New Testament that we read today are epistles. They're letters written to local churches. They didn't write 1 Christians chapter 5, verse 12. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, right? Philippians, Galatians, Colossians. These were written to specific churches that had specific pastors, specific Leaders, and we know that because many times Paul will call the people the leaders by name. And so it wasn't the big C church. No, it was specific local churches. The whole focus of the early apostles was to go town to town, province to province, and to make sure to set up local assemblies of believers that came together and were the church. It was about the local church. And if the apostles don't do do it for you, what about the king himself? You read Revelation, the first few chapters, who does Jesus talk to? He has letters or, or statements that he sent through John to seven specific local churches. He names them by name. And so both Jesus and his apostles assumed that all Christians would be a part of a local church. 
Now, it may look different in different cultures, but don't confuse when the Bible is descriptive with when the Bible is prescriptive. Because sometimes we read the New Testament and we go, well, they didn't go to a building like this and have one church. They, they met in homes every day. That is descriptive of what they had to do, not prescriptive of what we should do. They met in local homes because they didn't have a building, and if they did, they would have attended it and all been killed. They met in homes every single day. Why? Because they were committed to being the church, to doing church the same way we do today. And so both Jesus and his apostles assumed that all Christians would be part of the local church. Now, this brings us to a little bit of a quandary because I know some people right now online are watching. Some of you in this room are listening to me and y'all are kind of shaking your head. You're kind of scratching your head. You're kind of thinking, I think that incredibly good looking bald guy up there is saying that if I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to go to church. It's almost like he is, he is trying to infer that all Christians should attend a local church. Is he saying that? Look at my face. Yes. <laughs> that is exactly what I am saying to you. Let me be crystal clear. If you're a believer and it's a Sunday morning, your butt should be in a church. Is that in any way unclear? <laughs> Hind parts in a seat. We, we clear? How much should I go? A lot. A ton. You, you should be like, I hope they don't get tired of me down there. You should be in church a lot. A lot. Well, where do you get that? that I don't see in the New Testament where it says you have to attend church every Sunday. You're right. Let's go descriptive. They met every day. The staff's here during the week. Listen, if y'all want to come Monday morning, we'll open it up. Y'all can sit in here and pray together. We're not going to close the doors. Like, if you want to come, you can come every day if you like. But if it were me, I would be here pretty much every time the doors are open. Because I know in my life, every time I've gotten off track, every time that I've just veered from the way, and I know I'm getting into some sin or Satan's tempting me or maybe I've just let my habits fall or I'm just, I'm drifting away from God or my commitments to my family or doing the things that I need to do. I know for 18 years now, I would come to this church and I would sit in one of these chairs and Pastor Troy Maxwell would say stuff and I'd be like, dang it, got me again. I mean, I'd be getting off track and, and it was like, nope, boop, get back over there, buddy right? The Holy Spirit would speak. And I'm like, oh, he's doing it. He's going for it. Pastor Troy would say something. And what would it do? It would nudge me right back into where I needed to be because I'm in church. It's a fundamental basic habit of Christianity. And I just told you that studies show that most professing Christians in America barely go to church at all. And then we wonder why our country so jacked up? Why are our families disintegrating? Why don't we have the power of God move? Well, let's start at the basics. Do we go to church? Do we put a, an importance on the assembling of ourselves together? I don't think Jesus and the apostles would have spent all the early church's focus on building something that wasn't important. On create, I don't think Paul would have risked his life. God would have sent him into cities where he was going to be stoned and his life was going to be threatened to build something that doesn't really matter. Like the apostles are just out preaching and they're just preaching the gospel and it's like, all right, man, and we're going to baptize you and be saved. And then people get saved and they just went, okay, be free. Just, I guess, good luck. Go do your thing. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. No. They got people saved, they, they preached the gospel, and then they pulled them into local churches. Because as Christians, we're not called to go out and make converts, we're called to make disciples. And you're not going to get discipled without this. You can try all you want to. I've met some Christians before, and they go, I don't need local, I don't need the church. I go to these prayer meetings, and I, I just have time with God. And you know what I found? They are weird. 
they're weird. Because sometimes when you're trying to pursue spiritual things, you get a little off. And sometimes you need someone to tell you you're being a little weird. Sometimes you need to be at church and have a pastor say, eh, mm, not so much with that. Getting a little weird, getting a little off. You're losing focus on the main thing. And that's why we need the assembling of ourselves together. The early church, they did the best they could do with what they have. They really did more than what we do with more, right? They used the little they had. And it shows us that the problem with the church today is not with what we have in our hands, it's with what we lack in our hearts. It's not the stuff. It's not all these people saying, well, the problem with the church today is we spend too much money on lights and music and cameras and all that stuff. That is not a problem. If you could teleport Peter and John from back then to now and they were in our worship service today, you know what they would have done? They would have got down. They'd have been jumping, dancing, flipping. They would have been freaking out. This is awesome. You would have teleported them back and they would have told the early apostles and disciples, we, you got to pick it up, guys. Like all this, hey, oh, oh, oh. they've been like, get Timothy over there a guitar. Like this is not good. We've experienced something better, right? They would have loved it. And so we have to take what we have and understand the problem is not this stuff. You know that. I don't have to tell you that, right? You know that. The problem is not the stuff. The problem's right here. It's in our heart. It's am I committed to being the church, to proclaiming the gospel, to sharing Christ's love? That's always the issue. So I know a lot of you are saying, all right, Olin, I get it. I'm here. Brad's here every Sunday. He's like, all right, go on. I'm, I'm with you. Move on. Like, what do we got? You know, I get it. I'm part of it. I love it. I know y'all are. You're here. You're here every Sunday, right? I mean, it's, I see it under me. You're like, yeah, preach it. I mean, y'all are with me, right? And I, I know y'all get it. You're here because you get it. But then how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we live this out? How do we shine like stars? Because there's, there's some conflict now in the church in America about how we do this. I believe there's two ways that this is kind of being preached, proclaimed, lived out in the, in the church world today. Number one is this sentiment, this attitude that we will be such nice people that the world will like us. And if they like us, maybe they'll give Jesus a try. That's, that's, there's a large part of the Christian church in America that thinks this way. That, that thinks, man, if, if, we're just, if we're just nice to the world, if, don't offend them, don't, don't say anything. They could make them mad. Like we'll just be so nice and we'll, we'll take food to the homeless and we'll do all these nice things. And maybe if they see that we're nice, the world will like us. And if the world likes us enough, if the world really thinks we're okay, if the world thinks we're not homophobic and we're not angry and judgmental, we're not, that's not us. We're nice people. I mean, they'll like us. And if the world really likes us, maybe they'll give Jesus a try. They'll try him out. That's one way. It's a popular way. It's a popular way. You can build big churches. A lot of people come, they give money. I mean, it's, it's, it's an easier road to do it that way. It really is. But then there's the second way. And I don't want to show my bias in these two points, but I'll just describe this one as the biblical way. <laughs> and it says, totally impartial. And the second way is that we will be so different from the world. Now, I'm about to cuss in church. Are you ready? Four-letter word coming at you. If you have kids in here, you might want to cover their ears. Yep, cover Matthew's ears. I don't want him hearing this. This is tough. We don't say this word anymore. But we'll be so different from the word, world. Holy. I know. I know, it's offensive. We'll be so different from the world. We'll be so holy that our light will point people to Jesus. That's another way of doing it. Now, what does this mean? Number one is an attitude that hopes the world will approve of Jesus. It's an attitude that hopes desperately if we're nice people, if they see that, that we're not bad people, we're not mean and we're not judgmental, if they just like us enough, if they'll give us a chance, maybe they'll, they'll see that Jesus is a good guy. 
Maybe they'll give Jesus a chance. Maybe they'll approve of Jesus. The second is a lifestyle that shows the world how to find approval in Jesus. You see, Jesus doesn't need our approval. We need his. The world doesn't need to approve of Jesus like Jesus approve of God. That's not the need. The need for all of us is we need God's approval and we can only find it in one place, in Jesus Christ. And so our lives have to point people to Jesus. Let's read this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, therefore, my dear brothers, if you, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice he says work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. We don't work for our salvation. We work out our salvation. It says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Kind of sounds like God's the boss. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. It doesn't say you'll shine to them. It says you'll shine among them. Like stars in the sky. How? As you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, what is Paul saying? And we're going to read a few more verses in this. But what is Paul saying here? He's saying that if we want to shine like stars, if we want to be the light that points the world to the king, to Jesus, where they can find God's approval, where they can be forgiven of their sins, where they can find hope and life and peace, if we're going to be that light, we have to focus on the family, the family of God. We have to focus on the family of God. Of God. So many Christians are so outward focused, but he's saying we have to have a somewhat of an inward focus. We have to focus on God's family. Now, I'm going to twist your brain up just a little bit, but am I saying that we should treat believers and non believers differently? Yes. Yes, I am. Now, does that mean that we're mean to unbelievers? No, because I know some people right now are freaking out. He's saying be nice to Christians and mean to non Christians. That's not what I'm saying. Stick with me. But we're a Matthew 18 church, right? Now, how we healthy relationships, right? We preach on Matthew 18, handling conflict. Go to your brother, right? That's what we, we teach, we, we believe here at Freedom House Church, right? Right? We're a Matthew 18 church, right? But here's the thing. Matthew 18, who is Jesus talking to? Is he talking to Christians about how we treat the world? No, he says, if a brother offends you. Matthew 18 is about the family, it's about how we handle stuff in the family of God. Now, that doesn't mean you can't use it outside of that. You should use it at work. You should use those principles everywhere you go. That's great. But the point of it was how we treat each other. Galatians 6, verse 10. This is in the Amplified. It says, so then on occasion, and as occasion as opportunity, open up to us. So as we have opportunities presented in front of us, let us do good morally. To all people, not only to being useful or profitable to them, but also doing what is for their spiritual good and advantage. See? See, some of you are like, yes, yeah, see? Olin, you're wrong. Right there, it says do good to everybody. Be nice to everybody. Serve everybody. Yeah, it does say that, but keep reading. He says be mindful to be a blessing, especially, everybody say especially. Especially, especially to those of the household of faith. Those who belong to God's family with you, the believers. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, People who don't provide for their own family, especially members of their own household, have denied the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. And I want you to imagine for a moment that you work with a guy named Bob. Now, Bob is a great guy. Everybody loves Bob. Bob 
dresses well. He's articulate. He's super nice. He always holds the door open for the ladies. His reports are on time. They're on point. I mean, the guy does a great job. He's stellar in everything he does. And he's just so nice, relatable. You, people get in conversations with Bob. He's, he's a family man. I mean, people just love Bob. And here's, here's the, the killer thing with Bob. Bob didn't brag about this, but people found out that on Saturday mornings, Bob volunteers and he works with underprivileged kids. Come on. How can you not love Bob now? Right? Great coworker, great friend, family man, great, does everything with excellence. And the guy gives up his Saturdays to work with underprivileged kids. Bob sounds like just a peach of a guy, right? I mean, he's like Brad 2.0. Everybody loves him. The guy's amazing, right? But then you find out that social services were at Bob's house because Bob's kids have malnutrition. They don't have shoes on their feet, They haven't been attending school. They're lacking on their doctor visits. They don't have good clothes. They're not being bathed. His his own kids had to have social services come because Bob, this great guy, doesn't take care of his own family. Now, let me ask you a question. Does your view of Bob change? Little bit, right? Because you see, there's this law in the scripture. There's a law of priority. It's a law of priority. See, priority one, we know from the Bible, is God. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. We in agreement? Bob's, or, uh, God has always got to be first place above work. Yeah, not Bob. <laughs> Bob's a jerk. He doesn't even take care of his kids. God's always got to be number one, right? And so what does that mean? It means I've got to put God before my wife, right? Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm mean to my wife? Does that mean I neglect my wife? No, it means the law of priority is such a beautiful thing. When I put God first, I'm actually a better husband to my wife. It means that when I put God first in my marriage, my wife actually gets better, more of me, and it's blessed by God, right? Because I've got to put God first and then my wife. We get that, right? That's a simple principle. And when, when you, in a Christian church, you start saying that one, easy, everybody, amen, Now, the second one, a little tougher. A lot of Christians believe this. Some will argue with you. But the second one is, well, if God's number one, then for me, Tammy, my wife, she's got to be number two. She's got to have that second place of priority in my life. What does that mean? That means that my kids have to be a lower priority than my wife. Now, does that mean I abuse my kids? Does that mean I don't feed my kids? No. Let me promise you, spend plenty of money on these kids full-time job trying to keep my cards away from them, right? Like, stop spending my money. They live good. But I've got to put my wife, I've got to put God first, then my wife, then my kids. I've counseled many couples over the years that were in the throes of divorce, really struggling, and I've talked to several where the husband had stepped out on the wife, been unfaithful, and in one of these, I remember vividly, the young man was was tears streaming down his face. He said, I know I'm a bad husband. I know I've done things I shouldn't have done. I know I'm a bad husband. Tears streaming down his face. But nobody's gonna tell me I'm not a good father. I love my kids. And I looked at him and I said, what's the first thing of being, the most important thing of being a good father? It's how you treat their mother. So you've broken the law of priority. So you might buy your kid a Xbox, but if he or she doesn't see you honoring their mother, you've not set them up for success. Law of priority. Now, how does this impact us in the church? It's the same thing. You see, the church has to take priority for Christians above the world. The greatest thing we can do for the world is to love God's church. If we prioritize us, God's family, God's body, a strong church will reach the world. The world will never be directed to Jesus by a divided and loveless church. 
When we read this entire passage, we see a huge emphasis on our unity and our love for one another in the family of God. And that's why sometimes churches don't grow is because we're at work talking about how great our God is and how much we love God. And then the people we're talking to are like, well, why would I become a Christian to serve a God you don't love or prioritize enough to even be faithful to your own group? You don't even attend your own church regularly. Why should I? You talk about people at your church and you've got this person at church and man, you, you hate her guts. Why do I want to become a part of that? I got that here. Imagine the impact on the world when they see in us the family they've all longed to have. When they look in the church and they see such unity and such love and such care among us that they can't wait to be a part of what we've got because we're shining like stars among them. We're a light to the love and the connection that can be found in Jesus Christ by how we treat each other. That would be powerful. Philippians 2 verses 1 through 4. This is Paul in the verses preceding the ones we just read. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, Paul's saying, if Jesus has done anything for you, if you've received anything, any compassion, any, any benefit from Jesus, he's saying, if you've received this, he says, then he's begging. He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He doesn't say, go out and preach the gospel to the... No, he says, guys, if you have any love of God in you, if you appreciate what Jesus has done in your heart, then listen, I'm begging you, become one. Be united. Drop the petty squabbles. Stop prioritizing yourself as better than your brother. Paul is begging with us. He says in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility like Christ, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul is telling us, this is how we shine like stars. We shine like stars, not by saying we're different, but by being different. By coming in here and forming a community, a family, an assembly. This is why you can't stream it online. This is why you can't watch it on television. This is why we have to come and sit in these seats and serve together and work together and fight together. Yeah, we're going to fight. We're going to rub each other. That's the whole point. Because people you love the most are the people that it hurts when they annoy you and when they disagree with you. And that's what family is all about. Paul is saying, be a family. Be united. Stop worrying about changing the world, reaching the world. Do this, that'll happen. Because when we leave this place, we go out in power. We go out in unity. What are the practical applications of these verses for us today? If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you these. These are really complicated, so make sure you write these down because they're very different. If you don't write them down very carefully, you're going to miss them. Number one, start with the church in your relationships. Start with the church in your relationships. What does that mean? It means if you hang out with people outside of the church all the time and you never hang out with people inside the church, you're missing something. You're missing something. This body, this assembly is a place for you to come be a part of us. It's not about I watch, I spectate. No, it's about coming and being part of the group. And so does that mean that you can't have friends outside the church? No, no, have all the friends you want. Have all the family you want and enjoy that and spend time with people. But you should have one friend in the church. You should have somebody in the church you hang out with that you can call, that you can, that you can share your life with. If you don't, you're not being the church. Because remember, church is assembly. Number two, remember I told you these are really complicated. You got to write them down specifically. You're going to get them wrong. Number one was start with the church. Number two, start with the church. I told you they're complex. Number two is start with the church in your generosity. In your generosity. If you want to be a generous person, that's great. Start with the church. 
Remember Bob? Bob looked like a generous guy. Bob is helping all these kids, but he wasn't helping his own kids. And you got lots of Christians that give to all these things. And listen, I love Sarah McLaughlin as, ne- as much as the next guy and the little dogs in the commercial, you know? And it's like, I'm a dog person. Like, you know, there's all these things you can give your money to, and they're wonderful. Like, that's great. I, I love humanitarian stuff. That's all wonderful. Those are, those are great. But don't give outside the church before you've given inside the church. Law of priority, remember? God first, then my wife, then my kids. It's not saying don't be generous to people in need. No, it's saying don't skip over your own family. Don't skip over the family of God to go be generous in the world. Don't skip over your own to go give outside. If, if Christians in this world, in this country, if just this country, if Christians just tithed, if all Christians in America would tithe, we'd be done. We'd be done. That's game. We'd evangelize the world. We'd reach every unreached people group. We'd be in heaven right now sipping pina coladas. Like, it'd be over. We'd be done. We'd be retired. Like, it'd be over. Jesus would come back. We're done. That's it. If all Christians would just tithe for like a few weeks, we'd have so much finances in the church, we could reach the planet if everyone would just tithe. So start with the church. Number three, remember these are complex. Write them down carefully. Start with the church. Y'all seeing a theme develop? You gotta start with the church in your prayer life. What does that mean? It means... We don't just pray, hey, God, for my needs, for my family, for this, for that. No, we need to be praying for our church and the people in our church. And if you don't have anyone in this church that you know and you pray for, here's my challenge to you. Don't try to make a 57-person prayer list. Start with one. Find one person, before you leave today, find one person that you can pray for them by name. Every day you can call their name out and you can pray for them. God, I just lift up Melissa to you, God, because you know, you know, God, she needs it. She needs prayer. Like some of us need prayer, right? Melissa knows. Uh, yeah, I need it. I need somebody to lift me up, right? And so have one person that you're going to lift up by name. And guys, here's the fun part. This will turbocharge your prayer life. When you pray for people by name and God answers the prayer, you jump out of bed. You can't wait to pray for more people because you're like, God is using me to change people's lives in my family, in my church. I saw their marriage restored because I prayed. The Holy Spirit did some. Their kid got off drugs because I prayed. Don't diminish the power of your prayer life. There is nothing more fun than going to God, praying for specific needs and faces. I love coming to church and people telling me, let me tell you what God did. And I'm like giddy because I know I've been praying for it. I'm getting to see God move on my prayer request and do miracles in people's lives. Man, what could be better than that? You want to develop a prayer life? Find somebody in here today, find out what their need is and begin to pray. And sit back and watch God do a miracle. Incredible. Number four, start with the church, with your schedule. Don't, don't schedule out your life, your vacations, your work, your travel, everything else, and then find places to insert God. Look at the church schedule. Figure out the things that you and your family need the most. Maybe you've got some past things and you really need to be at forward coming up. Don't, don't miss forward because you're busy on a trip or doing something. If you know... We do lots of things. You don't have to come to everything. But pray about the things that God wants your family to receive and schedule around that. Build your calendar around the things that God wants to do in your life and you will begin to grow spiritually. And guess what? The cool thing is, God will make the other stuff happen. Man, a couple years ago, we were so busy, we didn't have a vacation that year. And it was getting late in the year, and we, Tammy was on me. She's just like, man, we need a break. We need a vacation. Pastor Stephanie knows. She's looking at me. Uh-huh. I'm bad sometimes. And a family called us up and said, hey, we got this beach place. Y'all want a week at the beach for free? We can't use it. God will bless you. 
When you prioritize the church, God will fit that other stuff in. He'll give you more time. Well, I don't want to miss time with my kids. Listen, you don't want your kids being 17, 18, 19 years old and not knowing God. You don't want your kids going off to college and not being grounded in Jesus. You give your kids and your family time to God, God will multiply and return, and you'll have a lifetime with your kids serving Jesus together. Amen? Last one, number five. You probably guessed it. Start with the church. Start with the church. With your service to others. With your service to others. You guys are awesome. And we've got a lot of people in, our, in this church that just serve their hearts out. But don't go serve everywhere outside of the church and not serve anywhere inside the church. Maybe you have ministries, charities that you really love and you're called to. That's awesome. Like, do that. That is great. But find somewhere in the house to serve, right? I think the motto for our, the message today is don't be a Bob. That'll get some of you later. Let's not be a Bob. Let, let's not skip over our family to go help everybody else, right? Let's start in the house. Let's start there. So let's shine. Let's shine like stars among them. Paul gives us two primary ways that we shine. Number one, we just covered it, is focus on the family of God. We prioritize the church. The last one, I'm gonna hit this quick. The second one is we focus on holiness. Our surrender versus the world's rebellion. It's not, and I wanna talk about this just for a minute before we close because so many people misunderstand holiness. It's not, it's not a stick in the mud. It's not no fun. It's not self-righteous. It's not judgmental. No, it's not my standard of righteousness versus theirs. It's not me versus the world. It's not you versus the world. Because sometimes as Christians, we get so intimidated to say anything about sin because we're thinking, I got sin in my life. I've messed up. I've made mistakes. Who am I to judge? But it's not my life, my righteousness versus them. That's not it. Holiness is not legalism. Holiness is a small child imitating his dad. That's what holiness is. As a kid, I remember watching my dad do manly things and just sitting there and just like watching him and trying to do it, just imitate him. That's what the Christian life is and that's what holiness is. It's you looking at your dad and going, I just wanna be like dad. I just wanna be like my father. I wanna, do, I wanna be like Jesus was. And you're imitating God. That's holiness and it's fun. It's light. It shows the joy of God. We obey our Father because we love and trust Him. And this creates a contrast with the world's rejection of Him and their rebellion against Him. There's this group again in Christianity today, and they're preaching that we will be such nice people, kind of like we'll just blend in with the world. We'll just blend in. And that's not what this passage is saying at all. It's saying the opposite. It's saying against the backdrop of a black Starless night, a darkness of, of poverty and lack and, and misery and loneliness and apathy and divorce and separation and desperation and suicide. And it's saying against that dark, black evil that we see in our world, he's saying we will shine. We will be a contrast because of the love of God and because of the holiness the imitation we have of our Father. It's not my goodness versus their goodness. It's my surrender versus their opposition. The world is rebelling against the King. As Christians, all we're doing is we're surrendering to Him. That's our testimony. We get together as an assembly of people that have bowed the knee. He's the King, and He doesn't need my approval. He doesn't need my advice. He doesn't need my opinion. No, he needs me to bow my knee. And we come in here together to bow our knee, to separate ourselves from the world because the world is standing up in opposition against God. I don't need you. I don't need a savior. I'm good enough on my own. I can figure this out. I can fix it. And what we do in humility is come before the throne and say, nope, no, I'm gonna bow. I'm gonna bow and I'm gonna invite everyone in here. We're gonna bow. That's the assembly. It's an assembly of surrender. 
And when we understand that, we understand how to be the light. He says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. How? As you hold firmly to the word of life. So stop grumbling. Stop arguing with your spiritual responsibilities. He's not saying don't argue with the world. Don't make a stand against evil. No, he's saying stop arguing amongst yourself. Stop resisting what God is inviting you to. Don't make it a burden on your pastors. Paul says that I, I, don't, wanna, I, I don't want this to be a burden. He says, I want to boast of you on the day. And I, I long for a day when we're in heaven and Pastor Troy and Pastor Penny are, are sitting there and they're talking to Peter and they're talking to John. They're talking to Paul. Paul's saying, hey, let me tell you this time I was shipwrecked and and, and God delivered us. And Pastor Troy and Pastor Penny, they just, they just cut Paul off. They won't even let Paul finish. You know Pastor Penny will do that. She'll, she'll cut him off. No, 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 let me tell you something. And I want our pastors to brag on us and say, no, 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 that's cool. But let me tell you about Freedom House Church. Let me tell you about a group of people who dropped their ego, dropped their pride, who surrendered to the king, who came together in so much unity we had so much power, we changed the city for Jesus. I want our pastors to be proud, to boast. Not in the buildings we have, not in the accomplishments, but in us, in our unity, in our, in our being together in one mind, one accord, one vision, one purpose. To proclaim the gospel, to shine like stars among them. That in the darkness we see, and doesn't it feel like it's getting darker? That's good. Because the darker it gets, the brighter we shine. The brighter we shine. Amen? Nothing brighter than a star, except a room full of them. When we come together, when we bring our light together, we shine so brightly that all those in the world who are desperate, who are hurting, who are broken, They'll know where to look. They'll know where to look. Let's make sure no one in Charlotte doesn't know where to look. Let's be so different that they all see and they all know where to look. Let's point to Jesus. He says, if you lift me up, I will draw all men unto myself. Let's be that church, amen? Will you stand on your feet today? I'm going to ask you for just a moment to bow your head and close your eyes. I know there's people here today, probably people watching online, and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We've made the gospel clear today. It's, it's not about you figuring something out, you approving of the Christian faith. No, it's about he's the king, he's the creator, he's God. Does he approve of you? Do you measure up to that standard? And let me answer, in my own heart, in my own life, I can tell you, I don't. And I guarantee you, if you look deep inside your soul, deep inside your heart, you'll come to the same conclusion that I don't measure up and I need a savior. I need someone that can forgive me, that can cleanse me, that can change me. A lot of people want to be different. We just don't know how. The first thing we do is we bow our knee to the king. You're in an assembly today of people who have bowed the knee. I wanna ask you right now, those online, there's a button you can click in the chat. We have a team that'll pray with you, that'll connect with you. If you're here today and you've never bowed the knee, you've never acknowledged Jesus is the one, he's the Messiah, he's the king. He died for me. You've never acknowledged that. You've never put your trust in him to save you instead of in yourself. If that's you today, I'm gonna to ask you to take a little step of faith and just raise your hand up right now. We just wanna say a simple prayer with you. If you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, acknowledge him as King. If you're online, just click that button. We want to just connect with you, pray with you, empower you to step into a better life, a better way. And if that's you today, I'm, I'm just gonna lead us in a simple prayer right now, a simple prayer of faith. It's not about the words you say, it's about believing this in your heart. It's just about acknowledging his kingship. Let's pray this together. Church, say it so you can hear your own words. Say, Father God, Father 
You're the king. I acknowledge that. You've invited me to the family. And I accept the invitation. I thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Jesus is the king. He died and he rose again. And I believe that. I ask you now, forgive me of my sins. Make me new. Make me a part of this assembly. Help me to shine like a star. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.